0: This episode of Beyond the Bottom Line is brought to you by the Program on Entrepreneurship at the Yale School of Management, where we're educating students for business and society.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bottom Line. My name is Tricia Riccio, Assistant Director for Co-Curricular Programs and Engagement with the Program on Entrepreneurship at the Yale School of Management. I'm here with Jennifer Tombaugh, President of TALK, Tauk is a Connecticut-based, family-owned tour operator. Tauk offers over 140 different all-inclusive guided tours in more than 70 countries. Uh, welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for being here with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Trish. So I want to thank you also for, for being a speaker at the We at Yale Women Innovator Breakfast Series this morning, taking time out of your day to visit us in New Haven. I know it's right around the corner from home and saves you a trip into the office down in Wilton, but um, nonetheless, we appreciate you being a... Uh, a leader for business and society and for for taking the time to visit us.
0: Well, I'm grateful that you invited me. It was really a great morning, and I I loved meeting all the students in the community. It was really, really special to me. Thank you very much. Fabulous.
1: Um, So let's jump on in. Um, I'd love to hear more about your background and more about your career as you graduated from Harvard and and started working in advertising at Leo Burnett and then moved into the beverage space at Coca-Cola. Can you walk us through your journey from Cambridge to Tauch?
0: Yeah, I I will say that um, I do want to give a little nod back to my hometown of Fairmont, West Virginia, because it was really my parents that I think instilled in me a love of travel. My mom is German and my dad was an insurance agent and uh, often had the opportunity to, because of his success in selling, take us as a family on incentive trips. And so while I never, ever thought of it as a career, they always instilled in me a passion and love for travel. And so when you think back kind of what drives you, I think it's all rooted there. But yes, after uh, Harvard College, I went on and worked at, at Monitor Company, which is a consultancy in Cambridge, and then had the fortune of attending Harvard Business School. And there I met my now husband, section mate, who had traveled with another classmate to Taipei, Taiwan, to have an opportunity to work with our classmate in his family's freight forwarding company. And so not speaking a word of chinese it was completely terrifying for me to jump on a plane and follow love across <laughs> the pacific but it was probably the most challenging and therefore the best opportunity that i had because it forced me not only to go into a world that i knew a little bit about but not a lot of advertising um but it uh also gave me the confidence to try new things. Um, I had gone from uh, HBS directly and worked at Coca-Cola, so I had had some experience there in beverage marketing, but I was just there for about a year before I moved over to uh, Asia and to Leo Burnett. And so I knew a little bit about consumer packaged goods, but to to really immerse myself in advertising, to immerse myself in consumer packaged goods... Um, But then also do all this in Chinese. I mean, I I have to tell you, walking into a room of people, walking to the company for the first time, not speaking a word and being introduced as the new manager, you know, the new account manager, um, needless to say, was a bit terrifying. It also required me to really build my credentials very, very quickly. Um, Fortunately, I was assigned to a number of Western clients. So Heineken, Coca-Cola, then I went from being a company person to them being my client um, and then going on to also pick up Procter & Gamble and Kellogg and Hermes, it, all of those experiences not only gave me a great grounding in marketing overall and event planning and PR and all those things would go with building a brand, um, it really helped me in terms of image-based marketing too because a lot of those things are at the end of the day, you're selling you know, fuzzy fizzy soda or you're selling um, an alcoholic beverage, and so how do you distinguish it? But it also taught me a lot about consumer insight. So having to really carefully, carefully listen to the Taiwanese consumer and understand why they were making the purchase decisions that they, they were and what kind of insight did we need to tap into to tell a good story to compel the sale. As someone once told me when we were trying to sell cornflakes, imagine eating sushi for breakfast in West Virginia, and this is what you're trying to overcome or convince someone in terms of their mindset, in terms of selling cold cereal for breakfast. And so there were things like that that just seemed so innate to a Westerner that were completely, truly foreign um, in the Chinese market. So that was terrific. The, The great thing about working for a global company like Leo Burnett is you have lots and lots of opportunity, but being... At a global company in a non or a U.S. company in a non-U.S. market, you have to decide if you're going to stay there forever or not. And my husband and I decided we had both come to a point in our careers where it's probably best to kind of move mat- back to the U.S. And we did so, um, but first by taking a six-month tour backpacking tour through Asia during the it's middle incredible. of the 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 dot-com boom. And a lot of our classmates at business school, especially, who ha- were doing quite well in internet startups were sort of scolding us for not coming back and telling us we were idiots. And we uh, we were trekking in Nepal and uh, logged onto an internet cafe in Kathmandu, thought we were okay, <laughs> looked at our Fidelity <laughs> accounts. And then three weeks later, when we came back and checked in again, we thought, what the heck has happened? And realized the market had fallen. And so we ended up from there, um, deciding it was probably best to go back to the the U.S. and get settled again. And uh, for a number of reasons, we ended up here in Connecticut. And that was the year Talk One World's best tour operator. And I had always loved the idea of travel. I had worked for a travel, I'd run our our student-run travel agency in college, um, the Let's Go uh, Travel Agency at Harvard Student Agencies, but I never thought about it as a career. But here was this opportunity to potentially work at a company that was based in Connecticut that allowed me to follow a passion of mine. I mean, I could have gone into beverage marketing, which was very familiar to me at Pepsi, perhaps, or something like that if they would have had me. But this was a, such a terrific idea. Um, and what dis- really distinguished Talc for me when I first interviewed Because I did interview at a number of different travel companies. It was a time of a lot of roll-ups and people were talking about back office consolidation and financial exits and overall returns and saw a lot of efficiencies in the marketplace. When I talked to Peter Tauk and my boss now of 18 years, Dan who who is running our new business development area, both of them talked so passionately about the guest and about the consumer experience. and There was a real sense of purpose. I mean, Peter literally sat with tears in his eyes talking about his father, um, our chairman, Arthur Tauk, who's now 88, reading the comment cards from guests from Canadian Rockies and how much it moved them. And all the other interviews that I had were really, again, about, financial exit strategies and how I would work on integration. And it was much more transactional. And this was a company with an enormous sense of purpose and pride about delighting guests and really changing people's lives through travel. And that really struck me as very different. And I was lucky to get an opportunity working for Dana New Business Development and started there 18 years ago.
1: That's Thank you for sharing. I, I think there's a lot to be said about your experience at home and finding that Passion and love for travel early on, and coming full circle, moving back to Connecticut where your husband's family is from, and finding tauk. This family-owned and operated business. How and why you made the change from these larger companies to tauk, and what what that experience was like for you.
0: The the change from going from a Fortune 500 company to a smaller company like tauk is is in many ways very very different and in many ways the same in terms of the same I think no matter what size of business that you're in you run into the same issues and challenges so there because there's some consistency in just learning about how to be an effective manager and I, I'm no by all, no means already there yet but in terms of how do you set up good performance structures and how do you motivate your employees and how do you make sure that there's processes and systems in place to get people to work together. And I think that's whether you're a company of two people or a company of thousands of people. It just gets more complicated, but the the fundamentals are the same. But what really struck me, especially going from a company like Coca-Cola, where it, it was very corporate. I was in the corporate headquarters. People at the time, this was in the 90s, they wore suits every day. You dressed for lunches. You um, Being in the South, too, it's a bit more formal. Um, everywhere you walked down the hall, there was the stock, the ticker price was going. There were big banners and lots of collateral everywhere to engender that sense of pride. And with it, with a large company, comes a lot of hierarchy and and processes. And a lot of that on the ladder, the processes and the structure were really, really beneficial to me because it taught me a clear methodology about how you kind of go to market. And that helped me a lot when I went to Leo Burnett, especially when I was working with the Heinekens or the Procter & Gamble's of the world, because I had a, I had a framework that I could reference as they were talking about their needs. And Again, getting into the consumer insights about how do you differentiate a product is always is always something that a big company like that really, really does well. It's a good place to learn your chops. I worked on two small brands, Fresca and Diet Sprite, and had worked on, and as a summer intern, the launch of Powerade. So you can also learn how to maneuver a small brand in this giant kind of company where Coca-Cola is obviously the dominant um, product sold. Um, it... it in that hierarchy, in that complexity, in that structure, there can be a bit of, I will say, distance between the person in the office and the consumer. And what really strikes me about being at, at Tauk and what has really given me the the passion to stay there for 18 years and continues to inspire me every day is the passion that we have for delivering on the guest experience. So at one point where at Coca-Cola it was all about delivering value for the shareholder— Coca Cola, it's about, sorry, at Tauk, it's about delivering the best experience we can for our guests and changing their people's lives through travel. And we read letters, I get them every single day from a guest who's had a great experience or had a moving experience. I just met some guests about 10 days ago uh, in in Switzerland, and I happen to be there celebrating my, my 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And thank you. And um I mentioned this to them and, and they said, Well, we are too. And it was their 38-time tour taker. And I said, How wonderful. I, I said, What what number are you, may I ask? And they said, Well, we're just one. We met on a talk tour last year. <gasps> and I just you know, your your heart just opens to sweet. these people. It was, it was just kind of a goosebump moment. And you see, like not only we, we really bring people together, you know, twenty percent of our guests travel again with somebody that they've met before on a talk trip. And so that level of just camaraderie and spirit and community and experience that you're giving someone is really, really meaningful and powerful. And we work really hard to infuse that every day in everything that we do. The other difference that I would say, though, is also working at a big public company where you have quarterly results reporting and there's that constant pressure to deliver for an external market, where at Tauk, we're still in our third generation family owned. And while the shareholders are involved and they expect returns, I'm not saying they're not demanding, they are and they should be, they see the long view and they understand that after 95 years and we're a company that doesn't carry any debt, that sometimes you try things that work and sometimes you try things that don't, but it's important that you learn and you move on. And that level of both financial and philosophical flexibility is something that really, I think, differentiates Tauk from the experience that I had at Coke and in some of my past jobs.
1: Well, actually, Jennifer, you've been at Tauk for a significant portion of your professional career. How has the Tauk product or brand, or both, evolved during this time? And how how have you impacted the evolution of this brand? And I'd just love to hear more about what talc means to you and to the guests.
0: Yeah. Experience it. So for 95 years, we've been offering land programs, and it started as a company that in the exotic time of 1925, when many roads weren't paved around New England, we send guests off into the vast reaches of those unpaved roads. Arthur Tauck, uh, just as as background, Arthur Tauk Sr. was a traveling salesman. He actually invented the coin tray uh, because he got fired from his bank teller job because he dropped the coins down a dumbwaiter. And so he, he oh, got his job back by inventing the coin tray, which turned out to be a great innovation. So he was peddling this around New England. And then people realized that he was going places that sounded interesting, and he realized there was a need for people to, or a desire for people to want to tag along. So he built the, the modern-day tour business, and so we hold license number 0001 of the Interstate Commerce Tour Operator Association. So oh, that's brilliant. Um, we are uh, lucky in that regard. So we, you know, our roots are all in land-based touring, and up until 1991, we were just in North America. And then we expanded into Europe. Now, That's to be fairly fair, recent. Yeah, it's, it's really quite amazing. Now, to be fair, I, I've learned as going through the Tauk archives that really there is nothing new that we've come up with that hasn't already been done because, like, in the 30s, um, Arthur was having a, a, a cruise ship go to Florida, and we did a land program from there, but you couldn't fly, so you had to get there by cruise ship. So you could argue he was in water before, and he did have student trips to the World's Fair back in the 30s and 40s as well. In any case— um, when it really was in earnest that we st- started to expand our footprint in 1991. I joined the company in 2001, right before 9-11. It was a really, really challenging time. At that point, we were already in a small ship cruising. Um, we had had, we have a great partnership primarily with a French company named Penant and we've been using their ships um, now for more than uh, a quarter of a decade. But uh the reason I joined talk and, and the job that was so compelling was working for now our CEO, my boss, uh, Dan Mahar, who was starting a new business development area. So my first job was starting to think about how talk might expand its footprint beyond that, that core area of land and then with small ship cruising. And it was under really Dan's leadership leadership. Um, that I got to work on launching um, Bridges, which is our family travel, multi-generational family travel line. We saw a need among our guests for uh, grandparents and parents traveling with kids who wanted their kids to have more on trip. And there were plenty of people who said, I've been there, done that, and I don't want these kids on board anymore. And so it was a nice win-win to let both, both uh, plants grow in their own separate pots, if you will. And so uh, we've just celebrated our, uh, I think, 13th, uh, 15th year of, of Tauk Bridges. So, Fantastic. Um, so that's been growing really, really nicely. Um, and we also, under that, we launched our, our small, uh, sorry, our river cruising line. And now we are, have nine boats um, with our our latest, the Andarina, launching in the Douro. And so those run in, on the Rhine Mine and Danube through the waterways of Central Europe. And then that oh, we'll have on. our first in, in Portugal starting up um, next uh, April. So That's, that's incredible. That, yeah, that's exciting. We we also have launched events. So these are exclusive experiences where we bring about 200 people together, uh, or usually around either a pre-existing event like the Kentucky Derby or the Rose Bowl, or we've created our own. We have a partnership with Ken Burns, uh, for example, and we've done um, uh, platforms and events around his films. Uh, so we've done jazz four or five times. We did one in Chicago that – Drew upon jazz, but also a little bit of baseball, a little bit of Frank Lloyd Wright, a little bit of prohibition. Um, similarly, in New York, in uh, New York, where we did jazz and prohibition uh, and the like, there, the Roosevelts. We'll have one next year for country music that we're pretty excited oh, about. Fantastic. So in this case, Ken or Dayton Duncan, his uh, co-producer on on all of these, and the chief writer for many of his films will come out and speak. We're actually running a, an event next week in Tuscany. Um, so we'll bring 200 people to a beautiful little mountain hilltop in the middle of Tuscany and Patricia Meyer of um, uh, Under the Tuscan Sun, the author there, will, will come and speak to our guests. So, oh, so those are really fun. They're they're not um, a huge volume of our business, but they're fun to kind of showcase events. Um, and then finally, we ha- we launched recently, um, um, and then s- decided to discontinue a, a brand called uh, Culturious, which was really designed to be after a more active boomer market. And it was a it was a excellent exercise for us to think about being you know clarity in our in our role um, and clarity in our positioning. It never quite resonated in the marketplace, and we've sort of folded many of those products. Even though people loved the product, it we sort of folded it into our core line where they where it made sense. Uh, we don't. We're not a company that advertises, and so sometimes it's hard to get people's attention, especially when you're going after a brand new market. So in this case, it was a more active, slightly younger audience, and it's it may be an easier market to reach uh, through digital marketing, but but a bit more challenging for us um, in our traditional marketing because the database of people were somewhat different than our travelers currently. Not always, but there was some overlap. But it was something that without. a a big push in advertising. It was going to be hard to break through the clutter in that.
1: You'd have to have a different strategy for that customer acquisition. Exactly. Whereas you have been growing your customer base organically since the beginning of Tauk? Since the the
0: beginning of time. The the whole business is built on word of mouth. I mean, specifically on the back of the very first guest list that Arthur Tauk handed out in 1925, um, there's a message to our patrons, and it basically says – that we don't invest in advertising. We take our, our, the dollars that we earn and we pump them back into the product. And that level of excellence is what drives uh, repeat experiences for our guests um, and, because it, and the, therefore the word of mouth that they share. So we say every year half the guests that come back to us will be repeat travelers. Another third will be those that come because of a referral and then those other twenty percent are through direct mail or some digital um, direct marketing that we do to consumers, or through sometimes through our travel agent community, um, who sell us as well. That is unique, homegrown. Oh, it's wonderful. About business opportunity. So we've been doing social media for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> now we just <laughs> have just to the original out. social media. Yeah, exactly. Now we just have to figure out how to harness that technology more effectively for as we continue to grow towards our hundredth and beyond.
1: For sure. Is, uh, can you share with us what we can expect Tauk to launch next and describe what the future target customer of Tauk
0: looks like? Sure. Um, we're pretty happy with the brands that we have because they're all growing very, very nicely. And we're looking to continually figure out how we can up our game, if you will. So, in particular, we've embarked on a lot of growth with our small ship cruising partners. I mentioned Penant. We also work with Windstar and Silver Sea and a company called Metropolitan Touring in the Galapagos. And that we can't seem sometimes to fill to get to get the space fast enough or build the ships fast enough to fill some of that space. So that's a high area of growth for us. The river cruising continues to be a very exciting and attractive opportunity for people to travel. Uh, there, you know, the, the waterways of Europe were where commerce and culture sprang. And so you can pull right up to these cute little villages and disembark and find yourself just sort of in this storybook. Part of Europe, and you never have to pack and unpack. And so it's a lovely way to travel. Our bridges trips, um, because of the focus certainly on family togetherness, and many of our lives are being torn in many different directions, pulled in many different directions because of our crazy schedules. The time for parents and children or multi generational travelers to be together is really important. And we often hear grandparents bring different grandchildren on the same trip. Um, several times, which is really, really wonderful. So everybody gets the same experience and they get to enjoy it again, I guess, as as the, uh, the adult on board. So all of those continue to be really strong areas. One of the things that we're spending a lot of time on right now, in addition to growing those, is determining what our land programs of the future might look like. We've gone uh, to much smaller groups, um, everything we do is group based. But we see, especially given some of the challenges of just the the crowds in some cities in Europe, to smaller groups, and we're finding more and more people are organically choosing that because they want that more intimate experience. The smaller group size. The smaller group size, and it's always a bit of a balance because there's sometimes where the groups are too small, and it you know, you know a couple people can can make the, make make the quarters <laughs> a little bit tight. But we've, we've really seemed to have found a sweet spot there, and that continues to grow. We're also working a lot on, on enhancing the personal experience of each guest on tour, and that might be in listening very carefully to special interests they might have and, and offering that while we can, offering more choices across all of our programs. So whether you're on land or small ship or river, you might have a way to do an uh, immersive experience to, uh, in a local neighborhood, or you might be hiking or biking through that neighborhood. So there might be an active choice or a more immersive choice to satisfy some of the interests of different, different folks. So we always look to, to offer those choices whenever possible, because it gives people just more flexibility to do what they want and make the experience that they want while being under the comfort and care of, of all of our great talk directors. So we're also looking then too, about how we can work more closely with our local guide community. We have an amazing group of talk directors that, uh these people are absolutely incredible with all kinds of different sort of intimidating backgrounds <laughs> of the experiences that they've had and the languages that they speak and the the resources that they have at their fingertips they can't be everywhere all the time though and for even with a, a smaller group and so how can we make those experiences even more small more immersive uh, by working more closely with our local guide community to give that kind of special flavor and give that people that more, not necessarily one-on-one, but, but more intimate experience. I mean, our, our mantra overall is small is big. And so everything that we're doing is really looking on creating a more intimate, more personal experience for our, all of our guests, no matter what type of travel platform they choose.
1: So how big are the larger groups and how small, what, yeah. is, what would the smallest group size be? That Yeah,
0: you'd offer? we, we, the small groups usually average around 24, or 26 guests. Um, the larger groups now in, in Europe are around 36. Um, in North America, sometimes they can push up to 44, but that's the highest that we go. Um, there's, there's a point where, um, although you can get coaches that are, that suit um, a, a bigger number of of passengers, a greater number of passengers, we feel like that's been our sweet spot. And as I said, as we continue to see migration to those smaller groups, we'll continue to, to look for product opportunities in that size as well. So, I mean, some of our programs only really operate on a small group experience. So, because it just, some of these destinations like Apulia, Better Suits, you know, those kinds of smaller group opportunities, or on Safari, right? You have Um, six people to a vehicle. And so, you you know, you don't want a parade of vehicles going down the road either, so.
1: I can't imagine a a coach bus pulling through the...
0: Yeah, no, no. no. The Serengeti and the coaches don't, that doesn't work. So (laughs) um, you'll need special vehicles for that. And we want to make sure that those are, are suited to give our guests the best experiences we can.
1: Great, fantastic. There are a number of trends within the tourism industry led by new cultural consumer behaviors. So, for example, we're seeing a spike in ecotourism for the sustainable traveler, and women-only adventure tours are on the rise for more independent women who want to see the world. Is Tauk developing s- travel opportunities to cater to these trends? It sounds like you know your customer pretty well and it, it is going to stay primarily in the, the older um, older market, but how is Tauk looking at these customer shifts?
0: Yeah, so our core customers are of 60 plus. They mm-hmm. tend to be very sophisticated travelers. Um, sometimes the comparison is to like to the alumni market. You know, the people of like-minded, culturally curious, eager to learn, um, excited about sort of expanding their horizons this is sort of gen- our general profile. And then with the family market, it obviously can span anywhere. I mean, I when I traveled with my mom who was 82 at the time, and my youngest was eight. So you, the, there's there's that type of travel as well. But our core is really that. What, what would I mention to, to start off? and we have dabbled in some of these other areas whether it be voluntourism or looking at women only departures we've also done a lot with some music or uh, that special interest sailings or food itineraries food culinary based itineraries years ago we've dabbled into some sporting events like you know golf oriented itineraries and what we found is that they can they aren't terribly suited well for consistent and ongoing group travel. You have people who have specific niches, but for us, there just hasn't been significant enough market demand to make that investment sort of worthy. We, with a lot of these companies, they're very niche, they're very small, and there's a need. There's certainly a need, but they're often like the the small, shiny object that's in this hand that everyone sort of gravitates to. But the reality is for the core of operations of our business, um, people want more of a broader experience that might have choices that that tap into opportunities that, of which you speak like a volunteer day or uh, a culinary experience. Or we might have a group of women that are on our Christmas market cruise that all travel together. So we we do tap into all the markets, but we just don't see a specific need among our market for a, a strong core special interest group. We saw this. A, a good example of this is we did a couple of baseball events with Ken Burns and it was um it was fantastic. And it but it tended to be men and mm-hmm. it tended to be or sometimes father-son sort of uh dynamics and the not always, but in general the wives stayed at home. And so we were missing out on and that was fine, but there typically, again for the for the ongoing development of our business, because we're really good at building a program and then running it year after year after year. We want to make sure that there's something that has that wider appeal to a broader audience. And so we'll incorporate the choices where we see that there's a real need. Um, and certainly in activity, there's there's a real need. We have now biking programs on all of our river cruises. Um, we have active choices throughout that, that allow people to do hiking or keep an active lifestyle because that does seem to be a broad-based need. Um, but those some of those specific trends, we watch and we monitor and then we decide whether it's appropriate for our guests or not based upon sort of some some trials and tests of choices that we give. I
1: can imagine the sports, sporting events can be polarizing. Yes. I mean, my dream is to go to Wimbledon and I would love to see a Super Bowl and if there was a tour around it, I would consider it. But I can't imagine that's for everyone. Right. And building a tour line around
0: these, and that's that's one of the reasons we've gone with these events because you know with the Kentucky Derby again it tended to pull both you know genders couples would go because it was more or less about the specific event and all the you know the learning and education and the horse farms and the bourbon and all you know all of that's that's the joy the pageantry Kentucky, that goes along the pageantry, with exactly That's a great word pageantry around Kentucky um and that time of year Rose Bowl's the same and so there's the game. And some people do stay on and buy the tickets, but a lot of people want to be in LA and see the floats and see the parade and have all of, again, that pageantry and that glamour that goes with it. That's sort of in that bucket list checkoff.
1: So interesting.
0: It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's always hard to, to turn down great new opportunities too. But some of those choices we just have to make because there's a limited amount of resources and you want to figure out where you can best invest them to deliver against our goals.
1: And I know you've spent a lot of time investing in your partnership with BBC Earth and um, the Ken Burns American Journeys series. Um, can you tell us about how these collaborations came about and um, with whom you would like to, talk to collaborate in the future?
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's something that we had actively ever thought of before. And, and the Ken Burns story is a little bit serendipitous, to be honest with you. It was 2009 when the National Park Series had come out that he had and Dayton had written um, and produced and we sort of jokingly said given that we've been running park programs since we were founded as a company pretty much I mean we've been I was just out in Grand Canyon and we've been running programs out through the Grand Canyon before it was a national park I mean we've since for since the, the 30s and 40s we've been taking people out
1: I mean must be that area one of the original tour companies for American parks before they were
0: nationally sanctioned. Page, Arizona, um, the Papillon flight tours thing in Page, Arizona was really developed because Arthur Tauck was trying to figure out how to get to Monument Valley, and he went to this one little person who had this one plane in Page, Arizona a couple years after it was incorporated as a town and asked if he could get some planes to consistently fly our guests into Monument Valley, and now you know, we are literally, we've been working them for with like for like sixty years. So, um, it's uh, it's a remarkable story, frankly. But knowing this, we sort of jokingly said, "Wouldn't it be a great opportunity to work with?" Ken and Dayton on a national parks program, and maybe, you know, they would want to do something together. Because at that point, you know, Europe, uh, when you were just running North America operations through 1991, of course everybody was going there. As we opened up Europe, we saw a decline in our visitors to the national parks. And so we're always thinking how do you innovate the program? And we're always constantly looking at that when you look at product lifestyle life cycles, how do you can continuously innovate? And one of our board members, when I sort of said this in passing, because we'd been talking about it in the office, said, well, I know his lawyer. And so at the time, it was in 09, the market had had fallen, and Ken and Dayton always have a number of projects that they're working on, and they were looking for funding opportunities. Ken had never done any kind of commercial partnership. He'd been asked by Steve Jobs and others to lend his name and lend his credentials, and he never did it, because he didn't want to be seen as as a bias in any sort of way to any external forces in terms of what he decided to produce. But we said, look, we just want to infuse your content into our programs. Then we'll create some tours that you tell us that you think we should do. And then maybe we'll do a couple of events together where you can come and speak. And and uh, like any relationship, there was interest, certainly on his part. But, you know, you kind of feel each other out and how this is all going to work, Right. And what we've learned with working with with Ken and Dayton and Lynn Kovic, sorry Lynn Novick, who has um, developed uh, the the Vietnam series, was a real sense of kindred spirits that we really see the story of the U.S. in a very similar way. And Ken tells it uh, through film, and we try and show it to our guests by. Taking them there, and so there was a real opportunity to lend the insights that they discovered and told so beautifully through the National Parks film um, into the programs that we have. And then I remember vividly my first time meeting Dayton Duncan. He said, "I will tell you right now, one tour we're going to insist that you build is Winter in Yellowstone." He said, "It's been the most magical place I've ever been in the U.S." And we did, and it was it. It's to this day, it still sells out. It's an extraordinary trip. Um, and then we've, we've, as I said, mentioned, have done events. So that's one of those things where, so we've been working together now for eight years and it just gets better all the time. So we're, we've just worked with Dayton to develop a new country music event that will launch in Nashville, uh, or run in Nashville in, in September of next year, which is sold out. Uh, and so, it's um, That's wild. It's exciting. And then we basically took that model when we, we were had been approached by the BBC, and as we are with a lot of different organizations, and as you will look in different periodicals or magazines, there are those partnerships that are out there, but they tend to be one-offs, and we're not good at that. We're, again, as I mentioned before, we're really good at developing a program and running it year after year after year. And if you run like five or six, then it's easy to do these sorts of one-offs, but we're just, we're not built like that. And so we wanted to figure out a way that you could make it scalable. And so by, again, using content, amazing content from BBC Earth and building, um, cutting very uh, wonderful and short uh, video vignettes that we show pre-tour, on-tour, post-tour, you get a richer experience for the destination. So... I'll give an example. When we were on safari, we obviously went out and we saw um, animals during the day. And then that evening we watched this film about the relationship that happens with Prides of Lions. And it was really – like we all walked out there like in tears because it's so emotional. Their power for storytelling about the connection, the the emotional connection that these animals have and the interdependencies they have on each other and the bonds that sometimes in the case of elephants that they make with humans. I mean they're – these are like goosebumps moment stories. And sure, the tour director can tell it, but it's it's different when sometimes that's played out. I mean, you think about a movie or a film that's really impacted you and it just kind of added more. So we're not looking to ever replace the experience of being there, but rather how can we use story to augment the experience um, through another medium? And so that, in those cases, that's worked really, really well. We do talk a lot about other partnerships and Perhaps there will be a lot of it is just building out again some of the huge partnerships that we have now. We just found out we're the biggest partner with the Louvre um, and with the Vatican because of our after hours experiences, and we were and, uh, outstanding. It's really great. And uh, William Lobkowitz, who has Lobkowitz Palace in Prague, uh, we're a huge partner of his. Um, and so we just look to figure out how to expand that. But as it relates to other marketing partnerships, uh, we are certainly we keep our ears and eyes open. But it's less from a promotional perspective. We don't ever discount or do anything like that. It's more thinking about how can we make the experience richer for our guests.
1: It sounds like the Tau organization core mission and the belief of of really honoring the, the Tau guest and customer pours into the partnerships you develop. These aren't just partnerships; they seem like relationships. Yeah. Like your your partners are in there with you, building out these tours, giving you direction, and working with you, which I think is unique and truly incredible to have these the these incredible individuals come together and and share what they think is the best experience your your guests could
0: have. Oh, it, let me tell you, I get to pinch myself all the time because I I uh, I couldn't agree with you more, and it's a real delight. It it really is all about relationships and. It's like anything that when you have a trusting uh, partnership with someone, you can build much greater things, and that goes with your internal team, but it certainly goes with our partners as well. Um, in the case of our, our partnership at Accor, for example, who has a number of different hotel brands, the gentleman who runs the, the, the CEO of their, their luxury brands, um, and among a number of other titles, has been a longtime talk friend for 30 years because he used to run the programs up in the Rockies for Fairmont Hotels. Um and we have we've been working at, with the Mirror Lake Inn, for example, up near Lake Placid since I think we're on our sixtieth year or something with them. So it, it really you have a you have a track record, right? You have a story to tell and that like any brand reputation, it matters. It matters when we're launching a new program, and we can say we work with Celia Sands, Winston Churchill's granddaughter, and she can call William Lobkowitz and say, you know, and 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 get his opinion on what's it like to work with Talc. And so, it's like any it's like any any personal or corporate brand you want to continue to build trust, openness, honest and transparency. and you know, We always talk about doing the right thing. And if we, we try really hard at that. And I think if you do that right, you're going to get people to come back to you from a patron perspective and repeat, but you also get to build out the partnerships and the relationships that you have. And so these are way beyond transactional business partnerships. These are about friendships, uh, and, and sometimes you do have to part ways, you know, and, and that it's not always rosy, you know, that we are at the end of the day in a business.
1: Can you talk a little about that? Like what, what has been a, a learning curve or what what hasn't gone as
0: well? Sure. Well, you're always going to have situations where perhaps a program didn't sell, right? Even that you've been running it for 30 or 40 years, it's just time to retire. It's reached the end of its product life cycle. We've tried really hard, but it's just not going any well anymore. Or... There's been new management at a at a company or a hotel or a property and it just isn't the same as it was. And when you the most important thing, again, it's just like doing performance reviews or any kind of relationship is being really transparent with the information that you have, is sort of managing expectations along the way that sales are going down, or we're getting this guest feedback. You know, we get 90% of our guests complete an on-tour survey that comes back to us and we, we look at the net promoter score on that and we take not only the the numerical comments but the written comments and our suppliers get that the same day we do. So it all goes into our system and it shoots out to them and it shoots to us because we're like, we're not hiding anything. So you're going to see where there's kudos transparency. and you're going to see where there's negatives and we're going to try and work through the negatives together and sometimes they're one-offs, you know, weird weather things or someone had a bad meal. Or, you know, that, that stuff happens in travel and you have to be, expect the unexpected. But... There are also times where if you don't see things turning around, that you have to say, you know, we're really sorry, but we have to, we have to make a change. But I think again, if you do it with respect and you do it with, um, again, a clarity of data, then there's an understanding. I mean, they don't, you may not, you may have to agree to disagree, but at least you've been clear and you can walk away with a clear conscience. You can't just pull the rug out from someone one day. You know, there has to be. Um, communication. You know, we've we've had to break up with partners, hotel partners that we've worked with for 30 years. And, you know, we'll send a big bouquet of flowers or something like we just so enjoyed the partnership and thank you. Because you never know when those people or the or situation might come back where you need them.
1: Absolutely. And can you talk about um, either a tour or a program that you launched that exceeded all expectations that was wildly successful and you thought, you know, I, I knew
0: this was going to be good, but this is outstanding. <laughs> this is... This, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, we, we're lucky that we have several of them. I mean, I think of the first time that we went into Egypt and now we're going back again after um, uh, we, we were there during the Arab Spring. Um, <laughs> but we're going back now and, and that is sold out um, and into already sold th- very well through 2021. So that was- That um, is my dream tour. Mine too. I have not <laughs> been. Um, our, when we first launched our partnership with Ken Burns, we did a Civil War event that sold out in seven days. Uh, When we went to Russia for the first time, we went to South America for the first time again, sold out. Because a lot of people will wait and say that we've been waiting for Tauk to come. Um, And so when Tauk decides to to go to a destination, they'll say, okay, I'm on board. And that's a big responsibility, and it's something we don't take lightly because we want to make sure that people feel comfortable and that we've done our due diligence. But just uh, just recently, this summer, we launched a program um, on a train through the Alps called the Golden Eagle, and it's a pretty pricey program. And it's a pretty exclusive train, and we finally, after years of negotiation, got something exclusive for us to run. And it's sold, completely sold out. And in fact, we've gone back to add dates, and now we're talking about you know train expansion. It's led to this oh whole new product development idea. And we've done trains before. We have we some programs in the Canadian Rockies and elsewhere, but it's, it's 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 exciting when you see that really kind of knock again. That not, sounds it magical. Yeah, yeah,
1: it does. It does magical. So. I have to ask what your favorite talk tour is. Oh, and it's like choosing a favorite child. It but. is like choosing a favorite child.
0: <laughs> well, I have to say it's I can't answer that only because I haven't been on all of them. You know, we have nearly a <laughs> hundred and fifty, sixty, seventy programs. I, I lose count to be honest I think with it's more you. More than one hundred and seventy. You probably know better than I do at this point. <laughs> but the it's it's really really tough to say. I guess for me, it's less about a favorite. But rather, to me, the the greatest experiences is watching our team in action. There have been times where I've been behind the scenes at our events late at night and watching how the team problem solves, or I was just in Pooley with my mom on vacation, you know, on one of our trips, and knowing that they're was a couple things that weren't going because, tra- you know, things happen in travel as, as you know, Thomas, our tour director, had planned. The way he navigated all of that, you know, I never said anything. I never offer you know, I'm, I'm like, here if you need me, but I'm, I'm getting all the way. And it was just wonderful to see not only how beautifully he unveiled his country to us in many unexpected ways, but to watch how the guests reacted to that. And that's at the end of the day, that's what really makes me happy. I mean, I I love home. I love going to Block Island. We don't have a trip there. I love Laos. Um, I love being, I loved being in Africa. I loved being on the Danube. But I loved it most because I got to watch my kids explore those places and to see a tech experience through their eyes is really what's meaningful. At the end of the day, that's what we're all about: is again, the experiences and the memories that we give to our guests that simply are priceless. You you can't return a vacation. And if we've done all of our work right and we've done the right thing and we've invested in our people and we keep innovating, you see that in the results um, and the reactions of the guests. And that's, I guess that makes every trip my favorite.
1: How special <laughs> yeah. though. That is yeah. fabulous. Um, what is your next destination?
0: Well, I have I get to travel a lot with my job, which is really fun. Um, and but most of it is conferences and meetings and <laughs> negotiations and things like that. So so not so, cruises down the Nile. Not cruises down the Nile. Unfortunately, I do I have the opportunity of uh, being part of the German National Tourism uh, Advisory Board, and so we have our Wonderful. out of country meeting in Hamburg and Berlin next year. And even though I'm half German, I've never been to Hamburg, so that'll be fun and exciting. Um, but I am looking at certainly. I will be there at our country music event next September, and I'm really looking forward to that. That sounds like so much fun. It is going to be a blast. <laughs> I've got my boots ready, and I uh, will be I'll be hoping to uh, at least meet with our groups when they visit Oberammergau next year because it's the. Uh, anniversary of the Passion Play, which is held in this tiny little alpine village of Oberammergau every 10 years since the Black Death. And so it's quite an event, and we have many, many, many people going the, from the time in May till October that the um, the the place stops running, but it's six hours every day in High German, in this tiny little town of Oberammergau, and in Bavaria, Germany, and the entire Cast is taken from the village. You either have to live there for twenty years or have been born there. Oh my goodness! And we know Jesus. He <laughs> is the PR director from twenty ten, and he just oh. got recast in the twenty twenty play. So that uh, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, and I will be there for the premiere of that, and so we'll look forward to welcoming our guests as they arrive to see this. For many of them, they it, it's been a trip that they've planned for all of their lives. So. It's it's a pretty exciting a event that we have yeah, yeah, every every 10 years. So it's Thank something you. that we'll look forward to.
1: And I have one last question. This sure. is something that Jennifer McFadden, who typically hosts, asks each of her guests. And that is, what is the one book that you would give as a gift this year or the one book that you've been given as a gift? Or what are you currently reading right now?
0: Well, let's see. I will answer this perhaps in two ways. Probably the book that I would give that I go back and read and reference a lot is Emerson's self-reliance. Well, it's it's his rather short essay called Self-Reliance out of his collection of, of essays. And it talks to about being true to thyself. And there's a lot there that sometimes you hit a wall or you start to question your decisions or wonder if you're on the right track. And I always come back to that as sort of a personal litmus uh, and a reminder of being aware of who I am and what I value and ensuring that I project that and not try to be someone that I'm not. That always feels awkward and uncomfortable. And I again, I find a lot of strength in that book. Um, as far as what I'm reading now... I was an English major, so I love uh, a good a good novel and a good read, uh, and I've also dappled more into uh, nonfiction as well. So it's a bit of an odd collection, but I'm reading the library book with, about the uh, Los Angeles uh, library fire, and I have also uh, just finished a fantastic book that I would give to anyone who just wants to have a really, really great read, and that's called The Heart's Invisible Furies, about a young, well, a a boy who grows up as a gay man in uh, Ireland, Amsterdam, and New York, and it's, it's it's 400 and some pages, and I could not put it down, so... There you go. There's That my sounds two. like my next read. There you go. How
1: fascinating. There
0: you go. So I, I have a very eclectic collection of <laughs> books as I have an eclectic collection of music because I really like lots of different genres. But those are ones that I would commend to you.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much for being here, Jennifer. We can't wait to see where Tauk travels to next.
0: Thank you. This is really wonderful. I really appreciate that, I'm Trish. It's really been a great time here, and I look forward to visiting again. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>